Turning into ASMR. Thing that you did with your voice. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Untold. Um, I got really. I meant to say this before we were rolling, but now but it's going to be useless information. Should that's we said stop within. rolling? No, 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 no. Oh. I just, I just want to brag. I got really beefy Wi-Fi extenders everywhere, so now my internet in the garage should not be torturing us every week. And making me laggy and skippy. I've got yeah. these really good beefy bad boys in my garage and in a room upstairs and a brand new router. So I'm like juiced and ready to go. I am pretty sure you also just named the episode of this podcast. Beefy bad boys. Beefy bad boys. <laughs> Might as well. I'm sure there's something that would pertain to that within the episode too. Yeah, probably. I'm, yeah. I'm, I appreciate that because yeah, your Wi-Fi is utter garbage. I know. And it was driving me insane. But so, yep. yes, congratulations on Thank on you. your internet beef. Thank you. You are welcome. That that makes me happy, too. Uh, do I have a cool story to share? I mean, other than what <laughs> we were talking about before, which is just, um, I guess you could call this a, a, a Chobot PSA as far as go get all your health stuff out of the way. I've spent this entire week literally doing every single doctor-esque thing that you're supposed to do so like you know from the lady's perspective pap smear i've got a mammogram coming up i'm gonna i did um just like a general physical i went and got my teeth clean i like did all of it just like got it out of the way and part of that was because i'm all about this 2021 like start fresh yeah mentality like clean the house get rid of my old clothes like do all that stuff get rid of it so that was part of it, but also just so I can not have to think about it at all exactly. until the following year because I hate the doctors, but I yeah. go because I'm responsible and adult, but uh, I still hate it. <laughs> yeah. I don't like it either. I don't like it either. No. Although I got to say, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. Like, I remember horrific doctor's appointments, and I don't know if I've just finally found, like, my crew that serves me correctly. See, that's true. Yeah. But I I do have a better general physician now, so I do like the doctor a little better. Yeah. I used to not like my my GP. Yeah, I really like. It does make a difference. Mm Mhm. I agree. And my dental thing was a big. It was a pleasant surprise. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, and that's the one I'm most afraid of because I don't handle teeth pain very well. Yeah. And so all in all, it's it was a you know it was a good week. I did get a little depressed though. I gotta tell you, I, I struggled a bit with that this week. Being depressed? Just, yeah, I think I'm I'm the kind of person that I can I can handle a lot of of shit, yeah. except for when it gets close to the end, like like literally, like if I have to go, like I compare it, <laughs> like this is this is a little weird, but I kind of compare it with like going to the bathroom. Yeah, like I can hold it forever. Except for, like, by the time I get to the house, if I see a toilet, like, I gotta, like, I'm gonna pee my pants, you know? Yeah. And so it's kind of like that for me with COVID and all of it. It's like, okay, I've been able to hold it in, keep it all kind of bottled up for this long. But now that we're close to kind of a, a end in sight, like, a hope, like, end of the tunnel, I can see it. Now I'm yeah. starting to lose it. Everybody else is getting happy, and I'm now starting to lose my shit. Yeah, I'm getting a little. I yeah, this weekend for me, I got well. Uh, we we haven't recorded since everything happened at the Capitol building. Okay, I swear we did. <laughs> I swear to our listeners, to our Untoldians, that we did not plan this. But you've got some weird of the week that's on. I've that got tip. some weird of the week involving yes. our government and aliens. Good, good. That was like the ultimate in transitions. <laughs> Thank you, Bowser. Yeah. So no okay. Uh, this has been picked up. I mean, I'm actually surprised you don't know exactly what I'm already going to be talking about. I think about. I know, I, but I didn't read the article, mm-hmm. but I saw the headline. Yeah. I have heard this covered by CNN, 
NPR, literally all my friends who don't even follow this kind of shit send it to me, like sent this article to me. Um, and so, yeah, the COVID-19 relief and spending bill is uh, actually forcing the U.S. intelligence agency to share its information on UFOs. That And, and I, I couldn't <laughs> understand how those two things were related. I don't. So they're not related in the sense that there literally is no relation between the two other than this bill. Yeah. And it kind of got, well, I'll, I'll, I'll so let me break it down. Break I'll it tell down. you. Yeah. Okay. So when the $2.3 trillion coronavirus relief fund bill was signed into law in December, there was a 180 day countdown for the U.S. intelligence agency to share their UFO information with Congress that basically started the minute it was approved. Okay. Um, okay. I'm going to my notes. So this little UFO add-on was actually squirreled away in the committee comments section of the Intelligence Authorization Act for the fiscal year of 2021. Uh-huh. So you got this big, thick-ass document full of probably immensely boring information, you know? Yeah. Who, like, I don't know, I'm sure somebody enjoys reading fiscal reports, but not me. Right. So, I, uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But, like, in the comments section, apparently, was this additional request hmm. for these U- this UFO information release. So, hmm. the UFO report breaks down like this. The UFO report that they are requesting in 180 days must share detailed analysis of UFO data collected by the Office of Naval Intelligence the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, and the FBI. Wow. Um, It should also share in detail an interagency process for ensuring timely data collection and centralized analysis of all unidentified aerial phenomena reporting for the federal government. The report should also identify any potential national security threats posed by UFOs and assess whether any of the nation's adversaries could be behind such activity. Because some people have said, so I've been listening to, you know, like I said before, when we were just talking about it, the radio constantly listening to the news and a couple of them in their intermittent breaks and things of that nature where they try to lighten the mood will cover this story. And they've had a few, um, they've had a few, you know, commentators on that are that roll in these circles or whatever or deal with this in government and i can't remember the guy's name to, i actually heard one today on cnn when i was listening to it and i can't remember the guy's name but basically they had somebody some sort of expert talking about how he doesn't he doesn't think that the pilots let's just the reference the pilots the videos that came out like yeah. last year he doesn't think that they did not see something weird he thinks they did but he suspects and i gotta say this actually happened to me when we were out hunting ufos for my show at one point where he actually thinks it is there's this weird ref, reflect reflection refraction thing that happens when you're looking at the sky um and you try to focus on a point where either the sun or the moon or wherever your light source is coming from yeah. somehow double reflects in the camera you're looking through or the glasses you're looking through or windshield or whatever. It kind of like bounces around somehow and it almost looks like it is a ball of light that is intelligently moving. Okay. But it's actually a reflection. Right. Of a different life, of a light source in that area. So it's not really a ship. And I had that happen to me while we were out trying to find stuff. Hmm. And I was convinced I had caught something on tape, like utterly convinced. And when they actually, they being our camera crew, because they're used to it, because they're, they handle cameras, yeah. showed me how it worked. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. Like, once it's explained to you and you see how it happens, right. you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's just light reflecting. So that's what this one expert was saying is that it's either if it if he believes it's not intergalactic, he thinks if it's anything, um, if it actually is some sort of, of thing, like an actual physical object, it's probably another yeah. country's, like, spy drone. Yeah. But, um, but also he's, he's actually putting his money on the fact that it's this like weird reflection thing that they caught on camera and also saw. 
and, uh, uh, you know, convince them that something weird was going on. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying I think that is an explanation for all of it, I, but I, I do now that I've also had that experience, think that that can be an explanation for some of it. Some, and I also yeah. think there's the possibility that, yeah, maybe they are spy drones, um, you know, from other countries that are testing the waters. And so, yeah, that's yeah. definitely worth being aware of and checking out. So needless to say, whether you believe it or not, um, that's what this whole situation is supposed to do. This report, uh, the, rep- the submitted report they're saying should be unclassified. And, uh, the story was actually so unbelievable that the office of the director of national intelligence had to confirm the news as true with, um, Snopes, the fact checking yeah, website, yeah. but it turned out to be true. Um, so this bill comes on the tail of the Pentagon. We kind of mentioned this before, releasing three videos, one from 2004 and two of them from 2015. Um, but they released them in 2020, showing unexplained aerial phenomena that the U.S. Navy confirmed as real. Even though, like I said before, it could possibly be this trick of the light and or some yeah. other kind of thing. Uh, in August, the Pentagon... Uh, whether they think it's light or not, is so convinced that something strange is happening. And, you know, like anything, you should be aware of what's going on in your skies. Uh, The Pentagon did announce that it was forming a task force to investigate it. So they are taking it seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, While some suspect, like I said, it's viewer error or possible drones from other countries. uh, I'm going to butcher this poor man's name. Uh, Louis... Elizondo, former head of the program, told CNN back in 2017 that he personally believes that, and this is a quote, there is very compelling evidence that we may not be alone. Hmm. Which is fucking terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that That's is wild. my my UFO slash government uh, connection That's there. Good. Is that somehow they managed to skadooch that into the bill. So weird. They have 180 days. I think they've already used up like half of it or a, a, a significant amount of it. Not to say they don't already have more important things on their plate, but you know, maybe we'll yeah. maybe we'll get an epiphany about UFOs here in great. the next couple days. Yeah, I, I do I, feel like we need the next, like we were talking about, we need the next big UFO thing. The next to, reveal. We yeah. need the next reveal. It's time for that story beat to drop. I agree. <laughs> like, we need it. I agree because it's been kind of like middling at the same level for a while, mm-hmm. and it just feels like uh, there there needs to be like a windfall of intel drop. Yep, yeah. I agree. So my next story, I wanted to see if you wanted to go in on this with me, and okay. or we start or and we start some sort of like GoFundMe for this. Okay. And I'd There's be one down... story that I'm wondering if you're going to include in Weird of the Week, and I'm if sure, not, I'm, I'm going to sure bring it I'm sure it up. is. I'm sure it is. Well, it's we'll probably see. this one. And I would be fine to turn to turn this into an Untoldian like official hangout club. Okay. Uh oh. Maybe it's not what I was thinking. Go ahead. The Lizzie Borden house is for sale for two mil. Oh my gosh, no, that's not what I was going oh, to say, yeah. but that's great. Yes, so... Oh my gosh. Massachusetts Lizzie Borden's B&B and Museum, home of the infin- infamous murderess Lizzie Borden back in 1892, is officially for sale. The house is located in Fall River, Massachusetts, and has six bedrooms, one in which Lizzie killed her mother. Or her stepmother. Oh I can't gosh. remember if it was her actual mom. I think it was her stepmom. I think it was. St- I think it was actual dad and and stepmom. Yes, right? I think it's actual dad and stepmom. I should have done yeah. my research before this, but I'm I'm gonna say I'm semi confident enough in my Lizzie Borden knowledge. Yeah. Naturally, that I'm gonna too. roll the dice on this and say I'm pretty sure it was her natural dad and her stepmom. So yeah. the asking price okay. is two mil. Uh, the current wow. owners are listing the house uh, because they want to retire. Along with the house, the sale also includes the business, trademarks, and intellectual rights. So you're getting a whole, Whoa. like, not only are you getting a haunted house, a murder home, but you're also getting, like, a fully-fledged business that they mentioned this in the article. The the um, real estate agent says is a just a, a moneymaker. Like, it just it vomits money <laughs> well that's that's so that's wild that's like 
so di- much different than just a house sale. You're talking about that's like a Willy Wonka situation where you're going to yeah. inherit the yeah like so then you would you be in charge if somebody wanted to well definitely if somebody wanted to make a movie about lizzie borden at that house you'd be in charge but you're in charge of lizzie borden as an intellectual property is that what they're saying or just the intellectual property of the location oh god that's a good question i honestly don't know i think it's the lizzie borden of that location but i don't know what other lizzie borden stuff you could possibly i I guess i mean like i guess i mean that uh like if somebody the wanted... house itself is is intellectual property now like yeah and so you're probably getting i would assume and this is totally like i'm guessing yeah. i would assume based on what little i know of how these things work in the entertainment business which is probably more than the average person because i obviously do work in the field that you're probably getting the trademark for any logos that the airbnb and the museum use yeah I'm looking it up. And, but I don't know, like, if somebody wanted to make a movie about Lizzie Borden, I don't know if you would have the right to, like, shut that down if you wanted to. Yeah. But I also don't know if there's any descendants of hers that would have claim to that. So, yeah. You know, I mean, her sister was still alive and so was she. She, I don't think, I think she died an old maid. I don't think she ever married or did anything, but I don't know about her sister. And I don't, so I don't really know if the family line, if there's still claims or anything. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, you look that up. I'm going to finish with the rest of the details on this. Okay. Uh, So for people that are unfamiliar with the Lizzie Borden story, um, on August 4th of 1892, real quick, we'll just do a, a generalized version of this. Both Andrew and Abby Borden were found hatcheted to death in their home. Andrew, if I remember correctly, and this was me rolling the dice on it, Andrew was found in a sitting room. I think he was sleeping on a couch and she like attacked him while he was sleeping. And uh, he was really messed up. Like she basically chopped off his face. And uh, Abby, she actually killed in an upstairs bedroom, which apparently you could sleep in if you ended up getting this as an Airbnb. My gosh. Um, And her body was uh, found next to the bed between a dresser and the actual bed itself. Lizzie and her sister were both put on trial with most of the suspicion falling on Lizzie for multiple reasons. Uh, However, she was acquitted mostly because people of the time believed a woman couldn't possibly commit such a physically violent and cruel crime. Right. Um, But then there was other reasons as well. Like there was some like, I don't know, weird evidence and stuff that like pointed towards her and couldn't quite be explained but then also wasn't concrete enough there is a couple issues but mostly it really did boil down to the fact that you know she was a woman and yeah they they people just didn't think women had it in them to do this and and at you know and and i think at the time most people thought poison was a woman's choice for murder versus like physical assault um Mm -hmm. However, local, the local public, whether she she did get off of this, she she never she never uh, she got acquitted. She never went to a, a jail for any of this. But like local public opinion was was that she was totally guilty and definitely killed her parents, her stepmom and her dad. Yeah. Um. And she fucking stayed. She stayed in Fall River. Like even though the entire city thought she mm-hmm. was guilty, she. Stayed and stuck it out and lived in that house and then I think she ended up buying a different one later on as she got older and basically lived the high life until she died and she died there on June 1st in 1927 there being Fall River I don't think she actually died in the same house where she potentially killed her parents uh, but she she was still living in Fall River back in 1927 when she passed away. And uh, and I think that was a big thing that they mentioned, too, was like, what was the motive? Like, why would she want to kill her parents? And it was because even though the Borden family was relatively well to do mm-hmm. and they lived in a pretty good section of town, her dad was very miserly and uh didn't and lizzie wanted to like live it up and be like the other girls that lived in her area and like really was angry about all of it so that was 
partly what they proposed as a possible reason, but nobody knows for sure, and the case remains unsolved. Wow, yeah. However, who knows? If you buy this house, maybe there's some sort of note hidden in a wall or under a floorboard. That's a cool idea for a horror film. They buy the Lizzie Borden house, and then it like unlocks the secret of what how it all really played out. There you go. Bowser, work on that. Yeah. <laughs> Pull that one together. So yeah. yeah. So I thought I that was a what, cool one. I would love to I would love to have a house like that. I know. I know. So cool. It's a cool looking place too. Yeah, it looks nice. Yeah. That would but be great. The real estate agent says there's a lot of people interested and they all do want to keep the bed and breakfast going. So hopefully somebody with that kind of thought process takes over and mm-hmm. Because I remember when they opened it up to the public, it's not been open for that long. And so I'm sure they're retiring because COVID's probably putting the squeeze on them a bit. But um, I've always wanted to go there. Always wanted to go and stay the night. That would be great. All right. So I've got one final weird of the week. And then we can talk about uh, if um, if your murdered mystery month. With uh, <laughs> celebrity celebrity ghost stories compares to Telly Savalas from last week. Uh huh. So this is a light little a light little news beat that I thought would like lighten the mood. Samosas sent into space by the British crash land in France. Oh wow! A British restaurant tried using weather balloons to send their samosas up into space. Oh I am gosh. going to destroy this man's name. I think it's Naraj Gadhar, owner of Chaiwala Restaurant in Bath, England, said that he came up with the idea as a means of bringing some funny into his life during a difficult time. Basically said, you know, like everybody else in this world right now dealing with COVID, it's just been really hard. And so he's just trying to lighten the mood. And this just hit him like some sort of kind of like not like a prank, but just kind of like, a yeah, let's, you know, let's fuck around and see if this can happen. And the feedback that he's heard from everybody is that it's brought a lot of laughter from people that know him and know the restaurant and know what they were up to and that that's what they really wanted to do was just spread a little joy. Um, (laughs) Goddard and some of his friends attached the samosas to a weather balloon equipped with a GoPro and a GPS tracker so that they could follow the journey. However, shortly, like two minutes shortly after launching, the GPS tracker kind of took a dump. So they didn't know where it went, and they were like, well, that kind of killed our whole thing. But then the next day when they woke up, they found that the GPS had basically, like, restarted itself. Sounds like somebody forgot to update the GPS. (laughs) But the GPS, right, managed to update itself and uh, gave them a location, and it actually had landed, uh, crash-landed of sorts over in France. So despite the GPS hiccup, they were able to track the samosas to a field in France where they were stuck up in a tree. Um, however, the samosas, when they got there, well, I don't even think I got a little confused in the article because it sounded like they went to go find the samosas. But then later on, it sounds like somebody in France actually went and found the samosas and told them about it and said, hey, when we when we can go visit you guys, we will and we'll bring all your stuff. Uh, huh. But they did share the information that they found on the GoPro and the GPS tracker. So needless to say, somebody, either this dude in France that they're talking about or themselves, managed to find the GPS and the GoPro up in a tree in this field in France. However, the hmm. samosas were missing from the wrapper, which leaves everybody to believe that some sort of French wildlife probably had a samosa dinner that night. <laughs> they can't quite tell how high the samosas made it up in the sky however the gopro does pick up a plane passing by the balloon which i gotta say what the actual fuck how is that not illegal yeah to float a weather balloon up so high that like airplanes could be passing by yeah how does that like not get you an immense amount of trouble i feel like there's such gray areas with that stuff i think about that with drones with these weather balloon antics no because drones if you're anywhere near an airport the airport actually sends out a signal that kills your drone's ability to fly like automatically like oh wow like like i know this because of reasons yeah it will ground it like you can't even take off like there's like certain ways that oh that i'm not going to share that you can get around it okay but yeah don't share i'm not gonna share that um but uh but it's yeah like they've got it built in now where you can't even take off 
And then for weather balloons, I am pretty sure you need to have like approval and you need to be really precise with when you're going to launch and mm-hmm. in what window and why and what the weather is going to be like in order to make this launch happen. And uh, and I honestly have no idea how, like, maybe these guys have some sort of special connection with the airports in their area. Like, that to me sounds incredibly illegal. Yeah. For sure. Like, I love the fact they wanted to bring joy, and I'm glad everything worked out the way they wanted it to, but holy shit, that mm-hmm. is, like, such bad news if something had gone wrong. Could you yeah. imagine a plane crashing and people dying because you wanted to float samosas up into space? I mean, that would be—that's the equivalent to the uh, the gender reveal party igniting those wildfires. Exactly. That's the 2021 version of that, yeah. Yes, which whatever happened yeah. to those folks? Gosh, I, know they got, I don't know. I think there were. I think they they had they were going to get charges brought up against them. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Kind of like the uh, balloon boy. Yeah. Well, I, there's a story that happened this week that I thought you were going to mention. That oh yeah, made, what's the story? Let me mention quickly. Um, even though we 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 got to get into the main stories, we've already been going for quite a bit, but. Uh, have you read about Army Hammer? So I saw him. <laughs> <laughs> so I saw him trending on my yeah. Twitter account, and I tried to find out what he had tweeted. And I couldn't find it because by the time I got to it, it was just so overloaded with people's commentary that it was like a needle in a haystack. But from what I managed to glean from people's comments was something about him drinking blood or being into watching people drink blood or something with blood. (laughs) Yeah. And that he he like some BDSM stuff. Yeah, but I so, thought we always knew that he was into at least the BDSM stuff. I didn't know like the blood thing's a bit of a surprise and a shocker, but there's a weird mix of things going on. And I will say this: I, I don't know what this a, is. What you wanted to talk about? <laughs> I want to talk about it. I don't know what of it is true. These screenshots are being disputed. Um, I can't. One thing I can't keep track of is. When in any of this was he married or not? So I'm not judging. I thought judging. he is married. Isn't he still married? Is he still? I don't know. I don't even uh, know that. I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Because I'll see a report that's like Army Hammer spotted with so-and-so. And I'm like, isn't he married? Then it's like, you know, Army Hammer divorced. I'm like, oh, is he divorced? It's so messy. So I'm not judging the man for anything good or bad he's done. I don't know. Um, but it feels like. It started off with just a little bit of, like, uh, divorced, uh, Aristotle says. It feels like in the beginning, he was just, like, uh, getting kind of kink-shamed. He'd been outed for, like, liking some—what's the Japanese rope tying around bodies? Uh, oh, I, I don't know. Shibari. I don't, I mean, I, oh. Shibari, uh-huh. I think is what it is. Yeah. Okay. Dang. He had, Good pull. Yeah. Well, I literally just read it, uh, like, 45 minutes ago. But— um, Originally, he was just outed because they were like, hey, do you know your likes are public and you've been like liking these sexy Shabari pictures? But that's like, well, isn't that kind of just don't yuck his yum type of thing? Uh, mm-hmm. But now it's evolved into like he's there's these screenshots where he's said to uh, different people that he wants to drink their blood. And then there's a screenshot that's like something like him saying, I want to be a cannibal with you. Is that weird oh, that I said right. it or he something? He wants to eat somebody. Now, again, not condoning this. Also, don't know, you know, if he was acting outside of uh, fidelity in any of these. So I'm also not, uh, I'm not shaming or endorsing. I'm just discussing from a distance <laughs> how interesting <laughs> it is that Army Hammer may be like a secret, wealthy Wannabe Kink vampire, my... yeah. Kink, kinky vampire master? Kinky vampire. I mean, it would make sense because he's so basic from the outside, right? He's just this blonde, pretty boy that comes from so much goddamn money, and his thing is being, like, really clean cut and buttoned up. That's his shtick. It makes sense that he's, like, a secret lector. Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't get enough of it. But it's a lot of hearsay, and then there's a lot of people 
because one headline was like army hammer is running a cult of of, of uh, demonic sex enslaved vampires so i was like well i don't know if it's that also, I don't know. Is it consensual? Are these exchanges consensual? Yeah, I mean, if it's consensual and nobody actually gets truly hurt, hurt, right? Then that's fine, I guess. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Sure. I've, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, as long that's as it's all. consensual, cons- consensual, consensual. Yeah. Consen- I can't say it now. Yeah. Th- that word. That. <laughs> Uh, everybody's legal. Yeah. You know, in the sense that they're of age and, uh, and, uh, and nobody gets truly, truly hurt. Right. And I guess like, yeah, like you can't, whatever. Yeah. I'm surprised that you got so into that. I actually saw that news story and I was like, I don't care. Oh yeah. I was all about it. Some friends and I were actually trading like articles on it. Oh dang. You went, you went hardcore. Yeah. Much like Hammer. Much like Hammer. So, the main story. Yeah, so now, speaking look. of celebrities, Bowser, why don't you yes, tell me with what dark our main secrets. celebrity story is? So, here's the thing. Your story last week was so in-depth mm-hmm. and quite frankly so good yeah gave me a little bit of performance anxiety (laughs) i mean like literally all week i've been listening to that i i I went back and watched that show celebrity ghost stories because a lot of it's on youtube so i watched stories from i mean gosh all over like uh, uh, you want Manson's. that Joan Rivers one too, don't you? Uh, yeah, and that's the other thing is you <laughs> took one of the other really good ones off the table. And so what I found was that there's so many celebrities with these short stories. Um, and I and I got to a certain point where I pivoted entirely. And I, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to flip the sitch a little bit. I'm going to do haunted movie set. Uh, okay. And I was like, that's kind of, you know on topic but maybe it's uh i'm cheating a little bit but i'll then give it what a pass I, i'll give it a pass well, then what i decided to do was do a big poo poo platter of everything okay so what i have is the opposite of your telly savala story which was a singular deep da- dive what i have is a sampler platter of 12 different stories 12 you've well, got but it's 12? a sampler Okay. It's a sample. What are they like? Two so, minutes each? Is this like it, the TikTok of celebrity? Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> that's what stories. I decided to do, and maybe that's just because my attention span now is like trained by TikTok. But I I found a couple different articles about haunted movie sets and cursed films, and I know a, a lot about some of these movies. So I tried to find ones that weren't the ones that are always talked about. Like, every, also some of them are just such bummers. They're like, yeah. did you know the John Wayne movie, The Conqueror, was cursed? And I'm like, really? Oh, because they all got cancer because they yes. were shooting out in the desert where they did the nuclear bomb tests? Right. I'm like, well, that's not a curse. That's radiation damaging yeah. the human body. Yeah. That's not fun. So some of these also kind of fall in that area because, like, Exorcist is mentioned. And uh, I took out Poltergeist because there's a lot uh, known about that. I took out the Twilight Zone movie. Because there's a lot known about that. So what I have is a sampler platter of haunted movie sets. And some of them are just super quick occurrences. And celebrities with instances of the supernatural or paranormal. Uh, But it's much more like in passing. Although some of them are people that you know have like fucking 30 stories. Oh, sweet. Okay. So let's see. Hit me with it. Yeah, let me hit you with it. Well, I brought up my internet browser, and instead of being on my Google Doc for this, I was on Army Hammer's Blood Cult. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, to start, mm-hmm. uh, the first one is a haunted movie set. It's Annabelle. There were two major paranormal events on the set of, of Annabelle. Did you ever watch that movie? Have you ever watched any of the Conjuring movies or anything? No, not really. I know of them. I know of the actual stories they're based on because I've read those books from Ed and Lorraine Warren. Yeah. But I've not watched any of the movies because now I know like that they're, 
I don't know. I, I don't dig those, like, I'm not into that whole movie thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I hate what I, you I, like, I, Bowser. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I'm actually not a fan of the Conjuring universe, and those, that ilk of horror film yeah, does not excite me. It's weird. I, I like B-movie horror films, but not ones that are just churned out for the sake of cash does that make sense because they are yeah. i mean you don't make a movie to not make money but i don't know there's just this vibe between something that is just kind of a natural naturally a b movie because somebody had a, a limited budget and was just trying to make something that they were into yeah uh and and so like by cutting those corners because of budget they had to get creative elsewhere or you know certain other things are just like aren't as uh tight but then on the flip side, it's like they almost make it be movie on purpose in order to make the cheapest movie possible to get it out as fast as possible so they could just keep taking your dollars. And for yeah. me, I don't like those. Yeah. No, I gotcha. Well, um, and I feel the same way. Uh, that's why I'm such a fan of like just 80s horror films mm-hmm. um, that seem to be coming from a different place. Well, on the set of Annabelle, there was two occurrences. One was that the director uh, of... Uh, Oh, actually, sorry. John R. Leonetti, the director of photography, who was also a photographer and would also often like take pictures uh, on the set and mm-hmm. uh, in the downtime, he he wound up taking a picture of uh, of three fingers that were like creeping along the window, drawing in the dust Ooh. that was on the windowsill. And he could see the movement of the hand, and it was backlit by the moon. And he says he has this picture, and it was like he 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 at first thought that someone was uh you know playing behind the 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 drapes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then there was nobody there, um, and so he just has this like mysterious hand drawing in the dust along the windowsill that he oh, photographed. Um, and also specifically, it looked like it was a hand that only had three fingers. Which is also what the doll has in the film. Supposedly, the doll only has like three little fingers. But in real life, the Annabelle doll is a is, is a Raggedy Ann. Raggedy Ann doll, and they never had fingers. No, they just also got like little all nets. Raggedy Ann dolls are terrifying. I know, an actual Raggedy Ann is scarier than the Annabelle from the Annabelle films. Absolutely, and I don't yeah. understand why Raggedy Ann and Andy ever got popular in the first place because they are so scary. Yeah, but did you ever watch their Halloween special that's yep. done by, I love that, by Chuck Jones. That is such a good, and they're like, fun in that. I just don't like them. I just don't I got like a kick out Raggedy of them. Ann and Andy. I was more of a Holly Hobby girl. I liked Raggedy Andy because he was my name, technically. Like, or Andrew Poochie. was Andy. I liked Poochie. Who the fuck is those... Poochie? Poochie was this... I'm pretty sure it was Poochie. Poochie was this uh, this white, fluffy dog that had that wore pink sunglasses. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, all right, so then another supernatural occurrence that occurred on the set, and this quote comes from the producer, Peter Safran. He said, we shot in this amazing old apartment building near Koreatown, and we had some funky stuff go down. In particular, the first day that the demon was shooting in full makeup, we brought the demon up in the elevator. He walks out, and he walks around to the green room, around to the green room where we're holding all of the talent. Mm -hmm. And just as he walks underneath a giant glass light fixture, uh, he's being followed by the actor that's going to play the handyman of the building. And that whole glass light fixture falls down on the handyman's head as the demon, after the demon passes under it. And the irony is that in the movie, the demon kills the janitor in that hallway that they were about to film in. And I think a light fixture is involved in oh his my death God. scene. So Did the dude like, die? No, the the actor was fine, but it was this weird moment of like life imitating art. Uh-huh. Um, like they were setting up to film something very similar, and it nearly happened in real life. Ooh, creepy. Um, the next film is The Exorcist. I just watched a documentary called Leap of Faith, and it's all about, it's just an interview with William Friedkin. It's just him talking for two hours. And it's fascinating. I know he's a very problematic uh, figure. I have no idea who we're talking about. So the director of The Exorcist is notoriously 
was notoriously abusive on the set of The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Uh, He, you know, he wasn't, he didn't feel like Ellen Burstyn was doing enough physically in a scene where she gets kind of thrown across the room by getting pulled on this harness. And so he told the stuntmen to like yank her so much it hurts. And she wound up fucking really seriously hurting her back forever. Same for Linda Blair, who plays Reagan. He like really messed her up in the scene where the bed is shaking up and down. Mm-hmm. He pushed everybody too far. He had a live, he, he fired a live gun on the set just to get the reaction of somebody reacting to a phone ringing. And he punched an actor. Oh my uh, God, he sounds like a real fucking asshole. He punched an actor who wasn't an actor. It was, it was, a, it was a, I mean, he was acting in the film, but it was a non-actor. It was this guy that played um, Father Karras' best friend, Father Dyer, I believe. The, 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 the guy that reads Father Karras' last rites as he's passing away at the bottom of The Exorcist steps. Mm-hmm. Basically, that actor was supposed to get very emotional in that scene, but he couldn't because he wasn't an actor. He was an actual priest. That was hired just uh, because so of his personality. So he punched a priest? So, a real-life so, yeah. priest? So he calls the guy off camera, and he's like, what's going on? And the guy's like, well, Bill, I just can't, I'm not, I can't get there. And he says, he hauls off, punched him in the face, and then pushed him on screen and yelled, action. And then the guy was worked up, he was shook, he was emotional, and it all is there on camera. And supposedly, Bill Friedkin says the actor thanked him for it afterward. Yeah, what a crock of shit. <laughs> right. So anyway, a lot of weird shit happened on the set of The Exorcist, but this is one of the only, I guess, arguably supernatural occurrences. Mm-hmm. That basically, so two sets were uh, had been created on one soundstage, the main McNeil house and then Reagan's bedroom. And a fire broke out that, uh, that was caused by a pigeon flying into a light box, and it burned the McNeil home set down and they had to halt production for six weeks. But even though the fire was like raging on this soundstage for a, a bit, it didn't touch Reagan's bedroom. It was like that area was completely safe and protected. And in the film, that's obviously the area where the devil's possession is focused and concentrated. Mm-hmm. And so it's weird. If you, if you thought if the devil was like mad at the movie, you'd think he'd burn the set that was kind of most related to representing him. But supposedly it didn't. And people just felt like it was another worldly occurrence because the fire should have naturally spread into the bedroom set as well. But it like stopped at Reagan's bedroom. Ooh, because he was in there. Because he was in there maybe. And he was like, nah, just burn the rest of it. Yeah, I'm cool. Thanks. Another uh, fire. This is another uh, burning tip. During the Omen, and if you don't know about the Omens, it's always hard to say this stuff was cursed because it it seems a little dismissive of the like natural tragedies that happened. But the Omen had a lot of a uh, lot of problems. There I did were, not like, know light- that actually. Yeah, there was lightning strikes that uh, I think one uh, struck a production vehicle and nearly killed someone. And then also there were kind of deaths surrounding the film. No deaths on the set of the film. Mm-hmm. But a crew member, I think, that had left the film died in a weird instance. Um, but this is is uh, this has to do with a fire. The processing lab that had all of the film coming in from this production, they, they there was a fire that destroyed thirteen thousand feet of film, and that was uh, inexplicable. Like the people in the lab still don't know how it happened, and the lab technicians were obviously in tears having to tell the production that this occurred but mm-hmm. 13,500 feet of film was destroyed uh-huh. uh on the set of the of the omen this is a side note and it's not spooky at all but uh the brian de palma film blowout uh I... do you ever see that with john travolta no well first of all it rips but second of all there's a huge fin- <laughs> there's a huge finale that takes place during a parade in I think Philadelphia on the Fourth of July, and they filmed the whole thing, and it was it was so expensive. It, it was I think at the time the biggest movie De Palma had ever made, and that sequence was then shipped to a, a lab for processing, and the the guy that was driving the van of film stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts I think. Mm-hmm. 
and all of the film was stolen out of the back of the van. Holy shit. That poor motherfucker. Can you imagine having to call, like, Paramount or whatever fucking company it was and be like, all of it's gone, and it was the most expensive sequence of the entire film. Oh, my God. Luckily, the the studio's insurance covered that, and they were able to reshoot everything, but it was Yeah, but still. Yeah, but still. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's just extra work for everybody. You probably have to pay talent more now because you've got to get them out for extra. It's crazy. I know, that gave me such anxiety when I heard that story. Yeah, that makes me sick to hear. Oh, Brian De De Palma said he was like, I, I almost passed out. When I heard, oh my God, that poor dude! Everybody, poor, poor dude driving, poor Brian, yeah. Brian De Palma. Yeah, yeah. So another Conjuring universe movie, The Nun, uh, also had something spooky happen on the set. Um, the Conjuring director, I'm sorry, The Nun director, Corin Hardy, claims to have seen not one but two apparitions on the set of The Nun. While filming a sequence in a narrow hallway of a real-life Romanian castle, the director recounts stepping into a side room to allow a camera to pass in the big hallway. And then when he entered that side room, he saw two men sitting at the back of the room, silent. He assumed that they were crew members that were also doing what he was doing, kind of getting out of the way of the camera. Mm -hmm. So he stayed in the room for the rest of that take, And then once they yelled cut, or he yelled cut, he turned around to speak to the crew members, and there was nobody there. And the room he was in, there was no way in or out other than the doorway that he was standing in. That's kind of fucked. All right. I like that (laughs) one. Yeah. I like that one. Sometimes the simple ones are the best ones. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm going to pivot to some celebrity stories. Okay. That was that was four. I've got I've got two more of this of the set ones, but uh, change it up, change it up. L- let me change it up. So I've heard this story, and um, you'd probably like this if you looked looked up this clip. Do you know the actress Jenny Slate, the comedian? Mm, I don't think so. She was on SNL, but let she's been in a up. bunch. Parks I'm sure and I'd Rec. Her. So she claims that she actually grew up in oh, a yeah. haunted okay, house. Oh yeah, I know who she is. Yeah, she claims that she grew up in a haunted house. Um, she's, she told Ellen on the show, I grew up in Massachusetts in a genuine haunted house, and I knew it was haunted. My parents, when they moved in, they bought it with all the furniture in it, and the people in the house had died and were long since gone. Um, her parents recounted a story where they pulled up the runner on the stairs to find a stack of old letters that had been hidden there, and the letters were from a man who was not the previous owner's husband, but was rather this sea captain. Oh, this um, is awesome. I know. Like, this whole story, and she's told it in pieces on different shows. I looked it up, but there was not one where she went much in depth. She talked about it in her stand-up special, too, which is called Stage Fright. Mm-hmm. But I feel like she needs to put this whole story together in one place, especially with her parents' side of it, because she says that her father ended up seeing the ghost of the sea captain. Oh, um, yeah. One night, the dad uh, went out into the hall, looked onto the stairs, and standing there was the sea captain looking at him, pleading. And she said that her family decided to burn the letters because Why? they felt... Yeah, I know, because they felt like it would release the sea captain from being kind of tethered to their home. Well, is that the vibe that the dad got from the sea captain when he was pleading? I guess, maybe. Maybe the sea captain was like, please release me. Burn these letters, you know? I don't know. Did What the letters say? Uh, that, they didn't get into detail. What? And, How did and, they not mention what the letters say? And, and the only, I think they might have been like love letters to the owner of the house because they specifically call out that the letters weren't from the husband. So yeah. I'm wondering if they were like from a secret lover and that's why they were... <sighs> Hidden Saucy. under the yeah under the stairs. That story reminds me of one of my favorite black and white uh, Rex Harrison films. I think that's his name. Oh really? Uh, called The Ghost and Mrs. Mir. You know I've never seen that, and I actually was thinking I of watching love it. Like, it. It's so cheese, yeah. but it's so good. Yeah, I was thinking of watching that. 
Um, yeah, Rex Harrison. Okay, good. I got it right. Yeah, I looked it up. <laughs> okay, so the next one is Jennifer Aniston. What? Yeah, so... <gasps> I know her. You know her. She's a famous lady. Um, when she first moved to L.A., she rented an apartment that came with a ghost who supposedly had ill will toward her roommate. Uh, she said in an interview that uh, things would, would happen, like the dishwasher would start to go off, or the coffee maker would go, or the stereo would just turn on at full volume. So she, uh, after seeking the advice of a friend that kind of believed in this stuff, that friend said, you need to have somebody come and like properly clear the house. So yeah. she had someone, and I don't know, I don't know who, uh, you know, uh, a medium of some kind or an expert in this area. Uh, mm-hmm. They came... And she says they had frankincense that they put in a little dish, and they started speaking all of these things around the house. And the first corner that she walked into, uh, the dish that had the frankincense just, like, split open and uh, cracked in the woman's hand. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, And this was in New York or L.A.? No, it was in L.A. That was in L.A. okay. Yeah, and then... When they moved into another area of the house with this frankincense and speaking out, this ashtray that was one of those, like, 70s, you know, thick ashtrays cracked in half. What the heck? Okay, that is weird. Yeah, and so the expert was like, well, why don't you both step out? Let me have some time alone in the apartment. And uh, she claims that after she spent some time in the apartment, she came out and she told Jennifer, I communicated with the spirit it told me that it hates your roommate and that that was the issue did and, it say uh, why <laughs> no she just, just said like, it has I issues just hate with this your roommate that rolled into my old apartment <laughs> and so jennifer aniston just moved out she never told the roommate what the paranormal investigator said oh my gosh because she was just like i couldn't stand the thought of being like oh hey the ghost thinks you're an asshole so instead, <laughs> the ghost hates you and yeah instead she just left well you know what i can support that decision sometimes totally. it's better to just not confront yeah so this is an interesting one megan mullally the that does sound from, familiar. Yep. The the actress from Will and Grace. Oh, and married yeah, okay. to Nick Offerman. Oh, yeah, so yeah, she, yeah. She was actually convinced that they shared a house with the spirit of Nicole Brown Simpson. What? Yeah. What? So, That's yeah. what she's going to bring up? Isn't that crazy? Ooh. Um, they didn't live in the same house that the Simpsons had lived in. But it was on the same property where the where uh, the the house that a house that OJ had rented for Nicole. Mm-hmm. So um, they'd be in that house. She told Busy Phillips on Busy Tonight, and in one corner of the house, like maybe where the bedroom used to be, we would have all of these strange sounds and weird things happen all the time: doors closing, things rattling, dishes things flushing just in like general poltergeist activity mm-hmm. and her husband didn't believe it her husband and nick nick yeah okay and megan said that the more nick didn't believe it the more the activity would increase mm-hmm. and that megan malali felt like there was a direct correlation between the activity of the spirit and nick's disbelief but why does she think it was Nicole Brown Simpson? Well, I guess just because it was built on that property and she felt like she had some kind of like empathic understanding of, of it being her. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so she eventually sat Nick Offerman down and made him watch like three documentaries about the murder and Nicole Brown Simpson and the show American Crime Story. Mm-hmm. And basically, she felt like he got to an understanding that it might be her, and then the sounds finally ceased. And Megan believes okay. it's because it's because she got her husband to a state of belief on the matter, which is kind of like, it's just, I mean, why would that have been the ghost's main objective? Yeah. Like, I just need Nick Offerman to believe <laughs> I'm Nicole Brown Simpson, and then I'll stop. That yeah. seems a little weird, but that seems a very like a straight. Yes, I I don't understand that connection. 
in particular. But okay. So let me wrap it up with these two. One is very expected, but I thought one was kind of unexpected. So this is of no surprise. Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, yes, but I'm going to love this one because I love her. Yeah, so she was preparing to take over the role of Princess Margaret for season three of The Crown, Mm -hmm. and she decided to seek approval from the real, late, deceased Princess Margaret by way of getting a medium that would then get her in touch with the spirit of Princess Margaret. So Helena said... My main thing when I play someone is re- that's real is I kind of want their blessing because I, you have a responsibility. So I went to a medium and we communicated with the spirit of Princess Margaret. And through her, she claims that Princess Margaret said, I'm glad it's you. You're better than the last actress that played me. That does sound like something Margaret would say. Well, that's what's so funny. That's what <laughs> Helena Bottom Carter says. She says, well, that makes me think maybe she is here because that is a classic Margaret thing to say. She was totally. really good at complimenting and putting you down at the same time. And then she went on to say, I have a word of advice for you. Get the smoking right. I smoked in a very particular way. The cigarette holder was as much a weapon for expression as it was for smoking. That also sounds like Margaret. Yeah, she claims that's where she got her insight for uh, on the performance of that character was this medium, Princess Margaret speaking through this medium to her. Dude, I dig that. Okay, so far that's my favorite story. That and the Jennifer Aniston one. But yeah, yeah, I like the Helena Bonham Carter. I am a bit biased because I do really, really like her, but that also sounds amazing. I know. Well, I should have ended on her because this last one's super short and it's not as detailed. But I just thought it was interesting because it's uh, tethered, uh, again, to real-world events like Nicole Brown Simpson. It's a mm-hmm. tethered to a, a true crime. But I didn't watch this movie. I, I have a weird problem with it, and I don't know what it is. But I didn't watch the Ted Bundy movie that starred Zac Efron. Um, oh, I didn't either. Extremely wicked and shockingly vile. Yeah. I just Are, don't care. It, Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Yeah, I don't know what... Yeah, I don't care either. Um, So, Lily Collins plays his ex-girlfriend in the movie. And she claims that many nights in a row, she would wake up with, like, visions of of murder occurring and uh, struggle occurring. And would, uh, at times, feel like she was kind of experiencing it in the waking world and there'd be these like violent flashes like the aftermath of of a struggle and it was always at 305 a.m hmm okay and it happened many nights in a row and she says that she spoke to someone about it and they told her that it's 3 a.m is when the veil between the realms is the thinnest and one can be visited. I thought that was supposed to be midnight. Why is it three? I've always heard three. I always, I've always heard, heard the witching. You've heard three? I've always heard the witching hour is three. I've yeah. always heard it was twilight or midnight. I've always heard it was three. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Well, now I'm curious. Yeah. I'm going to do some research on that. But so the veil between the worlds is the thinnest. And so what? She was just kind of like, since she was playing this role able to yeah. tap into well so that. she believes that yeah she believes that she was being kind of supported or communicated to by the victims she feels like it was the victims reaching out to her and saying we're here listening we're here for support thank you for telling the story even though mm-hmm. she was experiencing like traumatic things she felt mm-hmm. supported by it at the end of it all and felt like it was the victim's Spirit's way of saying, you know, good on you for shedding light on this. Like tragedy. this really happened. Yeah, this really happened. Yeah. This is what we really felt like. And thank right. you for telling our right. story, kind of thing. I can yeah. get behind that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Right. Did you? I've told you about how um, Debbie Harry from Blondie <laughs> is utterly convinced that Ted Bundy tried to pick her up in New York. Oh yeah, we've talked about that. Her, right? Yeah. 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 Totally. Before she became famous. Yeah. Well, just in case so, anybody else didn't know, 
She was leaving a yes. club. It was before she became famous. And she said that this guy, this semi-attractive guy kind of uh, offered her a ride. And she got in the car and realized that on the inside, there were no handles or a windshield. Because you had to roll up the win windows back then yourself. <laughs> and there were no, well, I don't even know what you would call them, windshield, wind, window rollers. Yeah. What, the, yeah. what were those called? Roll um, up the window. I just remember that being the phrase. Yeah. I, what was the handle called? The window handle? <laughs> when, yeah, sure. I don't. I as a kid, I'd always be like, just. I'd just roll up be the like, window. Roll up the window. Yeah, but what was it called? <laughs> Roller handle. Sure. Window crank. Anyway, it didn't have it on the inside of the car. She got super freaked out, and she. I think uh, she jumped whoa. out. And uh, later on, when she when they finally captured him, and he was on trial, is when she realized that that was the guy that tried Holy to get her that night. Holy shit. What? That. Oh, I thought you already <laughs> know about that story, though. I know about it, but I don't remember. I didn't remember that detail of, of her not putting it together until the trial and then thinking about her remembering that detail and the, the window roller. Yeah, that's just fucking crazy. Well, I've seen some interviews where she, she says it like that and then some where she said she, she kind of knew right, a, right away or she, she Had figured a bad it out right away. She kind of figured it out earlier than that, but yeah, whatever. It's yeah. a cool story. Either way. Well, that's my celebrity ghost and haunted set sampler platter. Um, Very nice. I hope you can derive some amount of pleasure from that, although it is not on par with Telly Savalas was driven by a ghost. <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. But, I don't even know if I can if I can top my own Telly Savalas story, even with the Joan Rivers. Like at this point, we've talked about her so much. I feel like. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. I feel like I might have played my hand a little early. Right. Well, and it's always interesting with the cursed film stuff, because I told you when I watched that docuseries cursed films that mm -hmm. a lot of times the conversation goes from, well, is the film cursed or is that dismissive to these real life tragedies? Because, you know, Poltergeist, two of the actresses died and one was because of domestic abuse and the other was from a disease. But I do think just because they were real world natural tragedies or not natural, I guess, but real world tragedies, that doesn't necessarily make it. Uh, remove it from the cursed category because if a film is cursed, there's going to be supernatural things. There will be natural things. There's just mm -hmm. kind of some kind of darkness on it. It doesn't remove the responsibility of the person that killed the actress from Poltergeist. It just means that there, maybe there's just something cosmic swirling underneath the whole thing. It kind of reminds me of when people talk about like the Cecil Hotel being yeah. the center of the, all this horrific, like that there's something rotten in the soil or in that area right. that contributes to these actual real world uh, right. horrific incidents happening time and time again yeah. in that same location. It's like that, the, the whatever the, the, entity is that is causing these issues to occur that's the supernatural yeah. part and then right. the, the actual occurrences themselves are realistic tragic with real victims totally but if you're somebody that believes along those lines anyway you could see why you know you might connect the two exactly Does that makes right. sense yeah right yes which a lot of horror movies have also played into that kind of a, a angle yeah for sure. Story-wise. So yeah. I thought that was a very good summation of a lot of um, vignettes. Let's call yeah, them a little, you're right. horror vignettes, a haunted vignettes, a little yeah. smattering. Yeah, I like that. A little hors d'oeuvre. I dig it. Yeah. I, I, in particular, liked the Helena Bonham Carter one. That's a, That was a good yeah, find. that's great. That's and great. the Jenna Aniston one, actually. I like that one, too. Because if any, if nobody would ever assume that she would ever be haunted. But, I know. Okay. And I love it when a, a huge celebrity is okay with telling a story like that. Because, yeah. like we talked about, it's tight that Telly Savalas had that story to say on the talk shows he went on. Whereas I feel like a lot of people nowadays would be afraid to look too eccentric or crazy. But yeah. uh, I think it's cool that, that uh, some of the big celebrities have great stories. But I also think it's how you present it when you're a celebrity. If, like, I feel like 
at least with the Jennifer Aniston and the Helena Bottom Carter ones, it's like, they're just matter of fact about it. They're like, hey, this right. is something weird that happened. Like, they're not trying to assign it anything more than it needs to be or anything or downplay it either. It's just, yeah. you know, this is what I do or this is where I lived and this is what was happening. And it was really weird. And I felt bad about telling my roommate. So I never did. And totally. it's like, that's a cool, that's a cool LA story. You know, that's totally. not even just a cool, like haunted celebrity story. That's just like a cool LA story. Yeah, agreed. There's ever going to be a town where you're going to rent an overpriced apartment and have a ghost move in with you. It is L.A. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. All right. Well, uh, do you want to sign us off? Yeah. Uh, this has been Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to The Untold, Untold Hour. Bye. Bye. Untoldians, that is it for this episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bazaar. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. Come join The Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at The Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast, <clears throat> a podcast network.